Hey, oh, hello. Welcome to yet another episode of Skeezy D's. Um, this is going to be a weird one. Because... Well, I talked about the election stuff last episode. And that was a bit depressing. Um, there were a few things I wanted to go over. The... Um, and I kind of want to keep it balanced because I know that not all of my listeners are interested in nerd shit. Um, this is going to be a nerd shit heavy episode. So I guess to... Start, I'll start off with non-nerd shit, and then when I start the nerd shit, people who aren't interested in that can just, like, log out. Um, so I'll, st- I'll start with more depressing stuff, um, talking about some of the key things that National has signaled they're going to get rid of, and what the implications might be. Um, so first up, and I think probably most depressingly... Um, is fair pay agreements. Um, They took six years, basically, to get implemented. Um, um, Okay, I I won't mention people's names because this is public, but my partner um, worked on... Worked on these or worked with these? It's too early for me to remember. Um, So, is that doxing? Probably not. There's a lot of people who worked on them. Worked in the same building as people who worked on this. Um, so that that was a whole thing. Um, for those who don't understand what they are, it's essentially sector bargaining um, for wages and benefits and all that. So instead of each individual person bargaining for their, like, minimum contract or whatever or each even union bargaining for their contract it would be between like the um unions representing a certain percentage of that sector working together with um other unions in that sector to reach that threshold bargaining with the like business interests of that sector for what the minimum um like rights and stuff rights and wages of that role should be um business new zealand has continued to lie about what fair pay agreements entail um very nastily so like straight up just like bald-faced lying about what they are what they entail how they they claim that no other country in the world does them that is like patently false Uh, But, like, I guess the thing that is weirdest about it to me is it's for business. Like, ultimately it was a policy for businesses because without them, um, unionism's going to rise. Like, this was a... Like, this... Like, it's good for workers, I should say. I should clarify. It's good for workers, uh, fair pay agreements, because unionizing... like, Like, unions are great, but unionizing fucking sucks. And, like... The process of building up, um, sorry, someone just ran across, ran into like state highway traffic, um, 
but yeah the, the process of unionizing fucking sucks and is like really fraught with danger even in new zealand um especially <laughs> now that they're um plan- spoilers they're planning to reintroduce 90-day trials uh, so yeah try unionizing when you're on a 90-day trial <laughs> um but unionism's gonna rise as a result of this. We've got a tight labor market. National's not going to loosen that labor market. It's tight because of international conditions, not necessarily entirely local conditions. Um, a national government is gonna attract more of the like the myth- mythical high-skilled immigrants everyone always claims are just around the corner. Um, which means like okay you take away fair pay agreements workers are going to have to join unions and they're going to have to do like fucking some pretty vicious strike action like at its core and i know that um my partner's going to yell at me for this because she might disagree oh she might agree i don't know um we kind of talked about it yesterday but at at its at its core the, the point of the fair pay agreements is to like avoid the whole striking business avoid the whole like disruption business um with them removed well like unite and fucking etu they've got no choice now they've got to do some pretty fucking like vicious maybe isn't the right words but some pretty fucking strident action um and they've proven that they can do that um with the um like living wage secured for several businesses now and they just keep plugging away so that's like i don't know it's kind of cool but anyway since that i mentioned 90 day trials 90 day trials are just shit um even the treasury has come out and said there's no impact of 90 day trials they're like literally they don't change productivity or anything um all they do is they give fucking small business tyrants a hard-on um I guess, like, it probably will help some small shitty cafes over summer. Um, They love doing the, like, hire someone for the busy period, fire them on the 89th day for no reason. Um, So that's fun, I guess. Um, I'm not going to remember all of these policies. As as you might be able to tell, I'm doing these with um, absolutely no show notes. Although maybe I should, like put some show notes on my steering wheel or like post-its on my windshield leaving like a little hole for vision um that was that was parody parody so something else they've promised to get rid of is let's get wellington moving um i'm fucking furious but also like i'm slightly vindicated because i knew this would happen i knew this in my soul um but if you remember earlier like a few years ago during the final consulting stages of let's get wellington moving when they were trying when they were trying to figure out like what uh, what's our end game what's like what are we actually going to do in let's get wellington moving they were getting a lot of pushback from car people and so as a sweetener as sort of like a tack on to the project they agreed to do a second tunnel through mount vic um so that now there can be like two different flows of traffic like just as someone who drives through Mount Vic on a semi-regular basis fucking insane behavior given that it's like it's busy for like one hour of the day if, if that like I I personally I, I've driven through there and like quite a bit I like live next to it 
it's not the bottleneck. It's not the point where like everyone slows down. That's usually like the lights on the other side. It's what I tend to find where like you actually have to stop. Um, or like, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't feel that the tunnel is necessarily a bottleneck. I don't see how drilling another tunnel is actually going to relieve any of that traffic meaningfully, given the bottlenecks are at the points of exit and entry on that route. Anyway, um, but I knew deep in my soul, the second that that got approved as part of Let's Get Wellington moving, it was the only part that was going to survive. Um, Wellington has voted for Let's Get Wellington moving. Um, massive green turnout. Um, we've elected a green mayor, we've elected a green MP, we've elected green councillors and Labour councillors. That is a clear voice saying, please, we want the trams. Folks, we want the trams. We want the trams. Um, anyone living in Wellington wants that. I think the problem is the, the fucking insane people, um, so, sorry for the ableism, um, who live up the Kapiti Coast, um, who live in Porirua West, who live up the hut. Um, those people whose experience of Wellington is entirely lining up on State Highway 2 and State Highway 1 to get into the city, like, that's, that's what's driving the desire to drop it. The people who actually live in Wellington are like, fuck, it would be nice if instead of these, like, shitty buses, I had a tram I could take to get around. Um... So yeah, it's incredibly depressing that they're going to drop the pedestrianisation of the Golden Mile. They're going to drop um, light rail. Um, and I think there's like a cycleway or something as part of it. It's like amazing what they were planning to do with um, like $8 billion or whatever. Um, compared to like similar projects that are now being touted. Like the, the four lanes to Whangarei or whatever. Fuck me. Um, uh, so, like, hopefully there's going to be a little on-the-ground resistance to that. Fingers crossed we can actually save Let's Get Wellington Moving. I really wish I wasn't saying that, because it's not, like, it's the bare minimum. It's not an inspiring, it's not an especially inspiring project. It's the bare minimum. It would bring Wellington in line with, like, American cities. Not, not, like, the shit ones, but like closer in line to a place like New York um, or whatever, like somewhere that's still got some level of functional public transport. Like Wellington public transport is like among the best in the country. That's that's like um, I don't know winning a, a sprinting race where all the other contestants are fish. Like it's there's not the the, the field is not competitive. Like, and, and fucking Christchurch is catching up, like, really rap rapidly. Um, they've got a great cycleway. Anyway, I'm getting too distracted on this shit. Um, honestly, in terms of the other shit that they're planning to drop, I've kind of forgotten it, but it was all really shocking. Um, thankfully, they backed off on their promise to drop free lunches. That's a plus. Um, they want to do a treaty referendum, which is insane um and i okay i'm gonna okay conspiracy hat on 
consider me wearing like a little fedora, but I insist that it's the, the other hat that looks like a fedora. Um, I've got my katana on, I've got my trench coat on, we're conspiracy mode. Um, I think they want to run a treaty referendum to provoke a response. Or, okay, no, wait, that's too conspiracy, I went too far. Okay, I'm taking the trench coat off, leaving the fedora on. Um, they want to run a referendum knowing full well that it will provoke a widespread response. Um, but that just sort of helps them because it'll give them a bit of look at how scary all these brown people are kind of rhetoric. Um, it'll give them an opportunity to let the pigs loose. Um, like it's sort of like a there, there's no losses. Um, and then they can also like behind closed doors as they've done with um, Te Pati Māori. Sorry about um, apartheid last last thing that was to teacher mode. Um, Party Māori, where they were promising to drop the referendum in exchange for working together in a coalition. Like, essentially, um, I feel like they're going to basically use it as a threat. I don't think they've grappled with the actuality of um, following through on the referendum. Um, I doubt it would be binding. I think it would be a non-binding referendum. If they made it a binding referendum, um, that would be fucking wild. And I know that's something that New Zealand First has campaigned on in the past, but I also, yeah. That's hard to say, it's gonna be spicy. Um, okay, that's enough of politics nerd shit. I'm gonna talk about nerd nerd shit. Um, so I'm running a Dungeons and Dragons campaign with a small group of friends, um, including I think just one person who will be listening to this podcast at the moment, um, if they are even listening, so that's, I don't know, I, I hope I'm not making FOMO, um, I hope all of you realise I'm really happy to run Dungeons and Dragons whenever you guys are free and I'm free, which is like, I guess never, but anyway, um, so for this um, Dungeons and Dragons campaign, I've got a couple of myths. I'd like to re retell the myths to you now. I enjoy um, telling stories, even though I'm really bad at it. Um, so in this world, there was nothing initially. It's blackness. And to that blackness was born the creator and the serpent. They got pretty bored pretty quick. Uh, they didn't like the void. So they sculpted a globe from the void. They worked together. The creator, who had hands and feet, used them to form mountains and dig out oceans. The serpent wound their way across the land, making rivers and shit. Um, once they'd made this orb, they collaborated to fill it with flora and fauna. And then once they'd finished creating and they felt pretty good about themselves they were like well we need to make something to inherit creation um, the creator made an ape-like being in their image the forefather or foreother the forebeing I guess of all kith and the serpent made a mighty dragon 
Now, they both couldn't agree on which one of these beings should have the right to inherit creation. So they agreed to have a series of trials, and the victor of the trials overall would become the inheritor of creation. The first trial was one in homage to what the serpent and the creator had just collaborated on. It was a trial of creation. They both had one day to create um, something. The first kith created a song in honor of the serpent and the creator. They thanked them for making the world and all that ran around in it. The dragon didn't make anything. The dragon displayed itself and said, I am already the pinnacle of creation. What need have I to make more? Um, and thus, the kith was determined the victor of the first trial. The serpent was enraged, and using its right to decide the second trial, made it a contest of speed. And it was a race to cross a mountain range. Now, the kith tried, but hands and feet couldn't really hack it. The dragon just flew over the mountain range. Um, the dragon was so cocksure it even slept in half the day before lazily flying over in the second half to snatch an easy victory. And thus the second trial went to the dragon. Now for the final trial, um, by mutual agreement, the creator and the serpent decided upon trial by combat. This would bring death into the world, and it would be the first true act of violence between intelligent beings. Now, the dragon was incredibly cocky, sort of didn't come up with any plan or any idea, and just fell asleep, basically. Um, with the help of the creator, the kith forged a shell of metal and a steel blade. When the day of the combat came, the dragon was smoked upon the mountainside, stabbed through the heart by the first blade. The serpent flew into a frenzy and started to destroy the world. It toppled mountain ranges. It boiled oceans. It cracked the surface of the world. To placate the serpent, the creator organized a deal. Kith would rule as inheritors of creation until the last dragon died, until the weave was restored and until the Empress returned to her throne. The serpent agreed and encased itself under the earth where its sleeping struggles cause earthquakes today. Um, that's the tale of creation. Um, love a good old cryptic prophecy I'll see if I can fit one more in. Um, 
Except the problem is I've forgotten the names. Now there were specific names for the beings in this uh, legend. So I'm just going to sub them in. Um, so after Kith inherited the world, the first Kith, um, the Primus, um, built up a clan. They had a clan hold. They, um, there were the weavers and the hunters. The hunters would travel out every day um, to hunt down animals and so forth for feasts at night. They would were responsible for cutting off the skins. They were responsible for defending the hearth. Whereas the weavers were responsible for weaving flax into garments, gathering fruits and berries and the cultivated goods from around the hearth. Um, they were also responsible for welcoming guests and providing hospitality. Now, the head of the hunters, I've forgotten his name, but he had 13 hounds. And among them, he had a mighty hound, who I've also forgotten the name of. Um, now, these hounds weren't like the dogs you or I know. These hounds were colossal and fearsome. Um, they were also very intelligent. Now, there was a time where a great hunt was afoot. The hunt for the crystal stag. And the head huntsman took all his hounds with him, bar the largest and mightiest, who he left behind to defend the hearth. A few days after they had departed, the Secundi, the sort of the second generation um, of Kith, visited the Primus hearth. Now, the Secundi were more developed than their Primus brethren, uh, where the Primus sort of represented the essential elements and forces of nature, the Secundi represented more um, thoughts, emotions, um, second order thinking. Um, when they came upon this great hound, they greeted it, and they had a collar forged uh, from precious metals and they, they said to the hound let us gird you with this collar um, in honor of your beauty and the duty you do the hearth um, the hound agreed to allow itself to be restrained um, and upon being restrained the secundi entered the hearth and slaughtered the weakers um, the hound was driven insane as the collar prevented it from entering to save the mothers, fathers, sons and daughters among the weavers whom it loved. When the hunt returned, they found the dead weavers and the insane hound. Unable to do anything for the hound, and there's something fucking poignant about um, what they do. Um, but uh, unable to do anything for the hound, 
they encased it in uh, fucking um, rocks or something, put it up in the sky, and it became the feral moon. And yeah, that's where I'll end our legends for today. Thank you for listening.